Miss Sylvia Cruz, and um, I was, I had an experience that I haven't shared with anybody, really, immediate family members only, and I was just going to keep it to myself and, and those that I did tell, and until Pastor uh, announced that he was going to be speaking on angels, I knew I had to tell him. Um, uh, one sun the Sunday after Thanksgiving, my husband and I came to church, and um, we went home, and we were going to finish up some painting that we had started the day before. And I had already worked the room, and my job was to, to paint the crease up at the top, and I had been up and down the ladder. And um, I didn't have any shoes on, and, and at one point, my foot got stuck and I knew I was going to fall and I, I started to fall back and something inside of me just said like go and um, as I started to fall I turned to see where I was going to fall and I saw this hand appear from from the invisible and just caught me and laid me so gently on the floor. And I looked down and I saw the hand ebb away. And I just laid there and my husband ran over to me and he said, are you hurt? And I said, I'm okay. And when the angel laid me down, I was, I, I was on my back in a fetal position. And I said, an angel just caught me. Of course, you know, he, he was wide-eyed and just kind of stood back. And I was very weak and, and very touched. I mean, it was an incredible feeling, Pastor, of just undiluted love and care that the Father had for us. And it was just such a beautiful experience. Amen. Thank you, Sally. Bless you. Well, we are talking about angels, and I want you to understand, um, well, let's, let's read first what I've got. If you wouldn't mind standing with me one more time, I want to just uh, read a quick quote. I'm trying to find a good quote that somebody has made about angels along the way. And in his book about angels, Increase Mather. That's really his name. How'd you like to be called Increase? Say with me, that's better than decrease. Increase Mather wrote these words. Angels, both good and bad, have a greater influence on this world than men are generally aware of. We ought to admire the grace of God toward us sinful creatures in that he has appointed his holy angels to guard us against the mischief of wicked spirits who are always intending our hurt both to our bodies and to our souls. Good quote. Now let's read Hebrews 1.7 and 1.14 out loud together and then I'm going to share with you on angels again tonight. Angels are very real in our world. The Bible tells us concerning them, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. And then Hebrews 1.14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's their task. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the ministry of angels. Lord, we thank you for the reality of the unseen world, that though it is unseen, it is more real than what we see and sense with our senses. Open our eyes to the reality of ministering spirits, that we might have a greater comprehension, Lord, of the power that is released and what is dispatched on our behalf who love the Lord, and that we have nothing to fear in this world. In Jesus' name, now will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive your word. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you might need an angel tonight. Um, praise God. Before I read these verses uh, and talk a little bit, let me just share with you that the Bible proposes that there is an unseen world. And you know, it's really occurred to me as I've been uh, preparing uh, for this series that um, if you don't believe in the supernatural, if you cannot embrace at least the possibility that there is an unseen world, you're stumped when it comes to the Bible. You will not get past Genesis 1-1. The Bible is like a window that the shade is pulled up and we are able to look out and into a world our natural eyes cannot see, are not designed to see. But the Bible from cover to cover declares to us that that world is there. And it's comprised of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As we saw last week, millions of angels. And we're going to see tonight that there is a hierarchical structure. There is a, an organization of angels. And we're going to look at the different levels of authority and position that angels occupy. But if we could see into the spirit world tonight, if God were just to open our eyes like he did the servant of the prophet who saw chariots of fire surrounding Dothan, the city of Dothan, where the enemy had swooped in to destroy them, and God opened up the servant's eyes, he saw that far greater were those who were with them than were the numbers of the enemy. And one of the reasons I'm sharing this series is because I believe that the church, in the days that are coming upon the Western world, needs to have a grasp on the assistance and the power and the reality of unseen angels. I think we may need them more than we know tonight. And so there is a world out there that is very real. And I want to just look at some examples of how often angels are mentioned in the Bible. I told you last week that there's over 300 mentions of angels in the Bible. When the disciples were being held in prison for preaching the gospel, the Bible records, quote, but an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, told them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. That is the life that is in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice something. Here they were thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Suddenly one angel, singular, an angel, is dispatched by God 
and he opened the prison doors and they walked out and then the angel communicated something to them and said I want you to go out and preach the words of this life preach Jesus preach the gospel well it's funny when you read the rest of the story because somehow the guards did not see them come out the angels had them stupefied amen and it says the next morning when the guards were told to go and bring the disciples out of the prison they found nothing and they reported quote indeed we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside the doors but when we opened them we found no one inside so the angel had opened the prison door had walked the disciples past the guards who were blinded to them walking by nobody even knew they were gone until the next morning an angel delivered them an angel in another place Simon Peter was being held in prison now the Bible says he was bound with two chains between two soldiers and guards were keeping the door of the prison so you have the guards there again prison doors shut and locked and he is chained to the wall and the Bible says quote now behold one angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shined into the prison and he struck Peter on the side Peter was asleep can you imagine being struck in the side by an angel saying wake up son I'm here to get you out he said arise quickly and his chains right then fell off Peter's hands so he went out and they passed the first and the second guard gates and the iron gate leading to the city opened of its own accord we're either reading here Steven Spielberg something out of Hollywood or the Bible is true and accurate and of course we believe that the Bible is true and accurate there's no reason for them to make stuff like this up he is awakened by an angel a supernatural light this was not anything from Thomas Edison this was a supernatural glow from the angel we've seen that angels shine brilliant white like lightning the light filled the room he struck Peter woke him up and when Peter woke up and stood up the chains fell off like butter Peter's looking at it and the Bible tells us that he thought he was dreaming or having a vision and the angel said quickly follow me as they walked the prison doors swung open the guards were oblivious to the whole thing as they went towards the city gate all by itself Peter just went walking through the funny part to me is the church is a mile or two down the road and they've been praying for his deliverance and when Peter comes knocking on the door they don't believe it that tells me you don't have to have perfect faith to get an answer to prayer you really don't because the very thing there's oh Lord set Peter free help him Lord we don't want him martyred here he comes hey it's me and the girl that opened the door and saw him ran back in and told them they said you've been having dreams you've been eating too much pizza girl she said I'm telling you it's him and Peter finally had to say to them let me in an angel set me free God sent his angel now I'm wanting you to see the activity of angels in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
In the book of Acts, I mean, I saw today the list in Strong's Concordance. I mean, it's just voluminous how many times angels appeared in the book of Acts. Alone, the book of Acts. The Bible says that it was an angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. We read the story of the fire or the bush that burned but was not consumed. What was it? Well, Acts tells us that it was the angel of the Lord that caused the bush to burn. And didn't we just read, he makes his ministers a flaming fire? Throughout the Bible, we find angels appearing, guiding, speaking, protecting, judging, and even bringing food to God's saints as they did Elijah in the wilderness when he brought him the supernatural food and said, eat it, you're going to need it. And it was an angel that brought it to him. The activity of angels is all throughout the Word of God. Paul wrote extensively about the hierarchy that exists in the spirit world among both angels and demons. And don't miss next week, because next week I'm going to talk to you about the fall of Lucifer and the, and the demonic hierarchy that we do battle with every day. I think too often we forget that we are not battling flesh and blood. We're not battling our spouses or people there at work or whatever. But the Bible intimates that behind a human personality, there can be an evil influence that attacks you through a person unbeknownst to them. And there is a demonic hierarchy that we're going to look at next week and spiritual warfare, so don't miss that. But I want you to read Colossians 1.16, and let's look at how Paul describes this angelic hierarchy. Are you ready? For it was in him, that is Jesus, that all things were created. I can't hear you. Y'all aren't reading with me. Here we go. You ready? For it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and things what? Unseen, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. Read the Message Bible with me, same verse, but it put it so well. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. So there were clearly being told that there's an unseen world. We're being told that when it comes to the angels, there's rank after rank after rank. There is a hierarchy. There is an organization. Scripture seems to recognize the following hierarchy in angelic ranking. As best I can tell, this is the hierarchy. Archangels, angels, seraphim, cherubim, principalities, dominions, powers, and thrones. Those are the hierarchies. We're going to look at those tonight. Now, some have asked when it comes to the principalities, dominions, powers, and thrones, I've heard people ask this, uh, if that might not be talking about human institutions and human beings. And I want to say to you, no, because you've got to take it in context. He's talking about the angelic powers, and then he names principalities, dominions, powers, and thrones. So it's connected. You've got to connect the dots. If he was talking about humans, he would have talked about humans in the very beginning. But verse 16 is talking about angelic creatures. Matthew Henry, my favorite commentator, wrote this. 
Christ made all things out of nothing, the highest angel in heaven, as well as men upon earth. He made the world, the upper and lower world, with all the inhabitants of both. Paul speaks here as if there were several orders of angels, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, which must signify either different degrees of excellence or different offices and employments that the angels occupy. Okay? So it is likely that principalities, dominions, powers, and thrones are referring to differing glories and levels of angelic authority, not human beings, angels. Now the highest level of angelic authority and power is that of the archangel, and guess what everybody, there's only one. I thought there were more, but there's not. There's one archangel, and I'm going to show that to you tonight. Michael the archangel, he's the one. Jude 9 recognizes Michael as an archangel. Jude writes, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. Notice he says, Michael the archangel. He doesn't say Michael an archangel. He says Michael the archangel. Scripture suggests that, and I'm going to go into this next week, before his fall, Lucifer was likely also an archangel. This is why we defeat him by the blood. We defeat him by the name of Jesus. We, the devil is not defeated by anything that has to do with flesh and blood, you and me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he that is in you is the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the one who, who defeated the devil by his perfect blood on the cross. That's the only thing Lucifer responds to. The blood, the name, and the word. That's it. If you want to defeat him, if you want him out of your thought life, if you want him out of, out of your finances, you want him off your, you want him off your marriage, off of your, something in your life, you, you plead the blood. You speak the name. You stand on the Word. You saturate yourself in the Word of God. The only thing he recognizes is the Word, the blood, and the name. In my name they shall cast out devils. But other than that, folks, if it were not for the protection of God, we would all be ashes. He would devour us alive. Thank God for the blood. Yeah. Now, the prefix arch suggests a chief, principal, or great angel. This places Michael above all other angels in rank and authority. There is none higher. We might call Michael the prime minister in God's administration of the universe. He is the angel administrator of God for judgment. He's all over the book of Revelation and the end times. The Bible never speaks of archangels, plural, but only the archangel. His name literally means 
who is like unto the Lord? Michael. In the Old Testament, God speaks of Michael as the prince of his chosen people. He particularly protects and defends God's people, whoever they are. In the book of Daniel, he's referred to as Michael, your prince. Speaking to the children of Israel, he's Michael, your prince. He appears in Revelations 12, 7 through 12, leading the armies of God that battle Satan, the great dragon, and all of his demons, where Satan and all the forces of darkness will be ultimately defeated. Michael is heavily involved in the end times. And it will be Michael who speaks the word of life. Get a hold of this. I never saw this until getting ready for this word. It's going to be Michael who speaks the word of life to everybody who is dead in Jesus Christ and who await their resurrection. Paul wrote, quote, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of what? The archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So the trumpet will blow and this Michael will shout He will shout. And everyone who has died in Christ will come out of the grave. Michael is serious. Michael is serious. Now, I could talk all night about Michael, but let's move on. Going from archangel to angels, the greatest of the angels is likely the angel Gabriel. Gabriel means in Hebrew, God's hero, or the mighty one, or God is great. He is one of the most prominent angels in Scripture. He's often re referred to as the messenger of Jehovah. And the thing that is so cool about Gabriel is uh, though he's never called an archangel, every time he is sent on a mission, he's bringing good news. He's bringing good news. Gabriel is primarily God's messenger of mercy and promise. We find him appearing four times in the Bible, and every time he's the bearer of good news, and I wrote the verses down in case you want to write them down and look them up. In the book of Daniel, Gabriel announces the vision of God for the end time. Daniel is fasting and praying and seeking God, and suddenly, there, and we talked about this last week, there is standing in front of him a mighty angel. It's Gabriel. And he tells Daniel, quote, Understand the vision I'm giving you belongs to events that will occur in the time of the end. So what Gabriel told Daniel is relevant to you and me. Because we are at the time of the end. And much of what he told Daniel about the 70 weeks and so on and so forth, that's all happening before our eyes. A second time that Daniel records Gabriel's second appearance to him, and he says this about it. He says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the former vision, being caused to fly swiftly, came near to me and touched me about the time of the evening sacrifice. Wow. And to Daniel, he said, understand the vision. 
and then revealed to him the magnificent sequence of events at the end time. Gabriel assured Daniel that history would end in the return of Christ, who he called the Prince of Princes. This is heavy stuff, y'all. Let me tell you something. If you get a visit from the least of the angels, you will never be the same again. These are mighty, powerful, stunning, incredible beings. And here's Michael, and now the chief of the angels, Gabriel. But he wasn't done with only Old Testament activity. In the New Testament, Gabriel first appears in Luke 1. He identifies himself to Zacharias within the Holy of Holies as he's there to make sacrifice. He has a vision, and Gabriel appears to him and announces the birth of John the Baptist, describing his life and ministry as the forerunner of Jesus. And Zacharias made a big mistake, opened up his mouth and said, how will these things be? And Gabriel said, you will not talk till he's born. And when he's born, you'll call him John. And he went mute. What would you see in there, Zacharias? Mm-hmm. I mean, it caused, well, what's the matter with you? Mm-hmm. Mm. When he was born, when John was born, the first thing out of his mouth, his name shall be John. But it was Gabriel who appeared to him and took his speech away for nine months. Now, Gabriel's most important appearance of all takes place with the Virgin Mary, to whom he proclaims the amazing news that she shall give birth to the very God of gods in the person of Jesus Christ. That was Gabriel. This divine declaration of Gabriel stands in history as the Magna Cartas of the Incarnation and the foundation stone of the world to come. God became flesh to redeem us. And that's what Gabriel announced. I think it's cool that it says when the shepherds had the vision of angels, it was a plural, it was a multitude of angels, and we don't know who any of them were, but God sent the best, the top, to Mary, Gabriel. Now we come to another grouping of angels that uh, you may not know much about. Can you say with me, seraphim? The seraphim and the cherubim follow in ranking. They follow in ranking after the archangel and angels. Peter might have been thinking about seraphim when he wrote, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God? Notice angels and authorities and powers. He just named three levels. Angels, authorities, and powers. And all of them have been made subject to Jesus. He says to one angel, go, and he goes. To another, come here, and he comes. Seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones or nobles. They're found only, only in Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. The prophet beheld them, the prophet Isaiah beheld them as having six wings. Y'all get a hold of this. This is, this is not Steven Spielberg once again. This is God. And notice what Isaiah the prophet saw. He said, I, I saw creatures, extraterrestrial, truthfully, having six wings and positioned above the throne of the Lord. They were plural in number. 
and one cried out to another. The ministry of the seraphim is to praise the name and the character of God in heaven. They are indescribably beautiful. When you read what Isaiah wrote that he saw, it's amazing. Here's the way he described them. He said they had two wings with two wings. With two wings he covered his face and with two wings he covered his feet and with two he did fly. Seraphim. While the Bible never says that all angels have wings and fly, they don't. The seraphim actually do. Apparently, according to Isaiah 6, 7, God can use them to cleanse and purify his servants because the seraphim took the coal off the altar and walked up to Isaiah and touched his lips with it and said, you're cleansed. That's a seraphim. And they are angelic. They are they are in this hierarchy. And now we come to the cherubim. And I got to tell you, when I was reading about these cherubim, this affected me because I want you to notice what they were involved in. Cherubim. We often find cherubim acting as symbols of heavenly things. Uh, quoting from Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia, at God's direction, they were incorporated into the design of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. Solomon's temple utilized them in its decoration, cherubim. But real cherubim, according to Ezekiel who saw them, had wings and hands like men and were full of eyes encompassed by wheels within wheels. Now I know this is a little difficult. Uh, you should read Ezekiel in a, in a modern a paraphrase, and it might help you understand this a little bit better, but this is, watch what they were involved in. The cherubim were directly linked to the glory of God. So they had wings and they had hands, Ezekiel said, that looked like men. And it says in Ezekiel 9, 3, the Lord is seen descending from his throne above the cherubim to the threshold of the temple in the calm before the storm of judgment because judgment was moving across Israel it says we see the cherubim stationed on the south side of the sanctuary so here Ezekiel now he's having a vision he is in the temple and he says I saw the cherubim stationed in the south side, which would be in this church here. He says, that's where they were. And here are these creatures. And God doesn't leave him to wonder. He tells him what they're doing. Watch this. Being stationed in position toward the city, they witnessed the beginning of the gradual withdrawal of God's glory from Jerusalem. The fluttering of their wings indicates immensely important prophetic events to follow. So Ezekiel in his vision knew that these cherubim were there to witness the departure of the glory of God. This was not a good hour. This was somber. I don't want to see any cherubim 
if that's why they're here. But this was very important. I want you to see the connection. God was using these cherubim as sort of a, a thermometer of, of, of the, the level of the glory of God. And as they, as they stood there, it says, see, cherubim constantly glorify God. They dwell beside God's throne. And as the glory departed, they left. Read Ezekiel. As the glory was finally gone, they flew away. So they were there to witness the departure of the glory. Ichabod was written over the door. You'll notice that cherubim do constantly glorify God. They dwell beside God's throne. Listen to what David wrote. Talking to God, you, God, who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth, God. And again, the psalmist writes, God sits between the cherubim. Wow. So here's God's throne on either side. If we could see it, there's cherubim. In Genesis 3.24, we find cherubim guarding the tree of life in Eden. Now, let's just sum up this. I know this has been some heavy stuff tonight. Let me just sum it up a little bit. The principalities dominions, powers, and thrones mentioned in Colossians 1.16 are likely referring to the degrees of excellence or offices and employments of the archangel, the angel, the seraphim, and the cherubim. They all have their level of authority and they all have their level of excellence. Let's just go ahead and on the count of three say, wow. One, two, three. Wow. It is a wow. I mean, this is, this is the world beyond the veil. This is the world God did not design our natural eyes to see, but he's given us his word to let us see it that way. When we deal next time with Lucifer and the angelic rebellion, we're going to see that the world of evil spirits is also hierarchical and exists within, within an organization of principalities, dominions, powers, and thrones described in Ephesians 6. All right. Isn't that good? Amen. So let's stand together, can we? Now, what's going to happen next week is this is all going to begin to connect. And I believe we're going to get a fresh idea of what warfare is all about. Because let me tell you something. As these angels are real, so are demon spirits. And where we're going, moving to a new building, and, and uh, we're going to preach the Word and minister the Word, we're going to have to know how to battle spiritual forces. Most uh, Listen, the American Western Church has forgotten this and has by and large, lost its saltiness. We're in a warfare, and the angels are on our side. And so are the cherubim and the seraphim and the Godhead. But we do have a determined enemy. We're going to learn how to battle next week. Some of you are in a battle with an enemy, and you think it's a person. But the enemy has gotten into that relationship or that setting 
And sometimes you got to look right past flesh and blood and say, I'm dealing with an enemy. But thank God, two-thirds of the angels are on our side. That's what it says. We'll see that next week. Father, we thank you for these mighty angels, the archangel Michael, Gabriel, the beautiful seraphim and cherubim. Thank you, Lord, that you created all these invisible things for yourself and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that perhaps even today we were protected and delivered and guarded by an angel we did not see. We ask you, Lord, to help us to move into the place of prayer that a mighty release of spiritual power comes to this city and this country and this world and help us to play our part in the end time events that are galloping towards us as we speak. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll give the Lord a hand of praise, can you? Praise God. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Kathy wants to.